So this week we're going to continue our series from last week, and that is on the power of your confession and the power of the confession of Jesus Christ. And, you know, Christianity is really called the great confession, meaning that that confession is greater than any other confession you could possibly make, and that's the confession that Jesus is Lord, the confession that Jesus is not only your Lord, but the Lord, and not only the Lord, but your Lord. And so Jesus Christ and the name of Jesus Christ, that name uh, God has set above all other names. And that name was actually set above all other names because God said it should be so and because of the accomplishments of Jesus and um, uh, many other reasons. This is not a series on the name of Jesus, so I won't go in depth there. But the power of the name of Jesus and the power of Jesus Christ, the one Son of God, the anointed one of God, has the power to overcome any power of the devil, any work of the devil, any um, stain from the devil, any stain from sin that the devil would try to get you to latch on to and get stuck on you. The power of Jesus, the power of the blood of Jesus and the name of Jesus is more powerful than anything that you could do to mess up, that I could do to mess up, whether you didn't do something you should or you did do something you shouldn't have done. When you come with the name and the blood, all of that is wiped out. It's interesting, in uh, King James Version of the New Testament, I think there's a couple places where it talks about the Christian um, uh, sins being covered, but if you actually look at the original translation, it's cleansing. So in the Old Testament, you talked about sins, and they put the sins on the scapegoat, and they send the scapegoat out, and you know, then you come once a year, and your sins were forgiven, your sins were covered. It's like putting a new coat of paint on an old barn. If you like scrape down, you could actually find the old coat of paint. In fact, that older house that we were looking at uh, buying, which we're not buying now, but that older house had like, Jessica came and saw it and she does historical restoration stuff. And so she was gracious enough to look at it. And I mean, there was layer after layer after layer after layer of old paint on there until you could get down and you try to figure out. And she's more expert in that than what I probably would ever hope to be, but you could figure out, okay, what was the original color and what was the original type of paint and what was all of this? The point is you could have this beautiful coat of white paint on the outside, but the thing was green at some point in the past. So you can find like uh, the devil wants you to think that way and the world wants you to think that way. Like, well, you're no different than anybody else. I know like you mess up. I know that you've done this. I know that you've done that and I'm going to hold it against you. Well, it may be true. That might have been a picture of the past, like uh, Dad Hagen would always say. He'd say, well, devil, Mr. Devil, you can bring a picture of it, but that event does not exist because the blood of Jesus actually cleansed that sin, cleansed that mistake. And cleansing actually removes from existence. And, you know, we say it like this. I supposed it's removed as far from existence as God himself has the ability to remove something from existence. And so if you believe that God is all-powerful and God can do anything, it actually says that he says he casts our sins in the sea of forgetfulness, actually as far as the east is from the west. So I want you to go east tomorrow and tell me when you get west, give me a call. Because you will never get west. You'll always have more east to go. And so when God looks at us, and when he sees us, he sees us through the blood of Jesus. And what the blood of Jesus does is the blood of Jesus actually removes sin itself. It doesn't cover up what you did. It doesn't patch up what you did. It doesn't like take what you did and um, say like, 
wipe it off. It actually removes it. It removes the very existence of your sin, of your mistakes. So when we come to God and we come any other way than by the blood of Jesus, with the name of Jesus, uh, it's real easy for us to come with our own accomplishments or our own failures. Like, you know, the, the devil is an equal opportunity guy, so he's going to try and get you whichever way he can. He really looks for any foothold that you'll give him because the truth is he is a defeated foe. He has no power, no authority, no ability. He's not even creative. He just takes what God did and he perverts it and he twists it and turns it and makes it sound like this. And, you know, I like to look at the, the first time things are mentioned in the Bible because it really gives you a, a precedent of how things are going to be used. So you can look in the Garden of Eden and you can see how the devil tempted Adam and Eve. And he, what did he say? He questioned, tried to make them question what God said. And he actually was successful in that case. He said, did God really say? Like, first of all, like maybe you're, he, he will even have you question like your ability to hear God because he said, did God really say? In other words, did you hear wrong or did God really say that? And then right after that, he said, well, God doesn't want you to eat that because he knows when you eat that, you'll be just like him. So he's trying to say like, you know, he's a bad God. He's questioning God's goodness and God's grace and God's mercy and God's character. He wants you to question that. He wants me to question that. So in our life, when something comes against us, you take and you just do that with the litmus test and say like, you know, could I just say right now with these words and these thoughts coming to my head, could it be said like, did God really say in other words, let's talk about finances. Did God really say that if you sow seed into his kingdom system that he will multiply it? Well, yeah, he said that, but well, well okay. Well, did he really mean it? You know, and then where faith really comes and where faith hits the, the rubber meets the road, so to speak, is faith, uh, Hebrews 11 one says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What kind of faith is the substance of things hoped for? The now faith. In other words, faith is now. Today is the day of salvation. So uh, the devil wants you to put it off down the road, and he wants you to put it off for somebody else. So maybe, you know, it'll work for Gwen in this situation, but it won't work for Pastor Tim because, you know, I know my faults, and even though I'm trying to cover them up from everybody else, I really know them, and so I'm really like... And what am I doing? I'm looking really to my ability, to myself. I'm not looking to God's ability and to himself and to his blood, to the blood of Jesus. So when we come and we come with the blood of Jesus and with the name of Jesus, we actually come and connect into God's system. And the way you first connect into God's system is if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, sozo, transformed. That actually includes... Um, uh, every part of your being. It includes salvation for your spirit. It includes your finances. And it includes uh, sickness and disease. Because what Jesus did on the cross, he took our sins, he took our sicknesses, and he took our poverty. All of the curse was conquered on the cross because Jesus himself became the curse for us. And then he took the curse and he took the penalty for the curse and he took the penalty for the messing up so that we could actually take his life. One of my favorite verses in the Bible in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, like one translation says, he took our death so we could take his life. So he took our place of weakness, of failure, of messing up. He even like uh, um, took our penalty in hell and then overcame the devil so that we would never have to go to hell, so that we could actually go straight to heaven, not only go to heaven 
uh, when our earth suit passes away, but that we could experience the life and the nature of God right here and right now. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life, or zoe, that's the life and nature of God, and that you'd have it in abundance. So that we're not just like saved people that are going to heaven, but we're actually saved now and it can affect us now here today. It can affect our finances, affect our bodies, and affect our boldness and our ability. So let's go real quickly back into our uh, discussion about confession. And we see like confession is many things. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you some definitions right here. Um, confession is to say the same thing or to come in agreement with. Remember we talked last week that uh, it's really easy to say like, okay, I'm just going to say the right thing and this is all going to happen and it's just going to come to pass. But confession is a whole lot more than just the words of your mouth. It's actually the attitude in which you say the words. Confession is your body language, your demeanor. Like, how are you doing today? I'm fine. Things are great. Like, do you believe what I'm saying? I don't even believe what I'm saying. (laughs) If I'm like that, right? I call, you know, that would be more like, I'm trying to be fine. I'm trying to be, you know, well, we'll stop trying to be and just be it. Like, just receive what God has done for you. And I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you, so don't feel like, you know, like extra special, even though you are extra special. So confession is to say the same thing, to agree in statement, um, to speak the same language. It's having all men agreed upon a statement, to accept an affirmation, uh, to admit to a charge, to make a confession of guilt even, to agree to a proposal. Uh, we talked last week, it's even a, like ratifying a contract. So you can find like confession, you're actually coming in line with what I would say is a spiritual law. The, the great confession, the confession of the lordship of Jesus Christ, actually opens up all of the power that was available and that was present, that was used in the resurrection of Jesus himself. When I confess, when you confess, Jesus is Lord So you might have like, I'm overwhelmed by this financial pressure or this sickness that's coming against me, for instance. And you say, you know what? Jesus is Lord over my body. Jesus is Lord over my finances. Jesus is Lord over my family and over my relationships. I have immediately, if I believed that, if I said that as a powerful confession, like I'm ratifying the contract. In other words, here's what the word of God says. The word of God says that by the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. The word of God says he will take my seed. He'll multiply my seed. The word of God says that if I bring all the tithes into the storehouse, he'll rebuke the devourer for my sakes and on and on and on. I'm coming in line with that confession. I'm agreeing with that confession. And I would almost say instead of the word confession, maybe a better word that helps me understand it better is a declaration. I now declare that Jesus is Lord over my finances. So you're saying like Russia is doing all of this, uh, you know, they want to like buzz our Navy ship and then they want to take a destroyer by our ship. And, you know, then there's certain protocols, certain reactions that our government um, is supposed to take. And uh, it depends if they've been told not to take it or whatever. But generally there's protocols where they're going to have a certain reaction um, because in other words, somebody comes within 12 miles of the United States coastline. That is the United States territorial waters by international law. That's United States property. So no foreign vessel can come into our waters without permission. And I guarantee you, if a Russian ship comes within 12 miles, nautical miles of the uh, continental United States, there will be a reaction and there will be a declaration. And so when we confess, it's not just idle words that we speak. 
It's not just filler words. It's not just, oh, we're supposed to say that. It's words that actually connect us with the resurrection power of Jesus Christ and what he did in the resurrection, that that same power that raised him from the dead becomes available the moment that we join ourselves with that. And you know, as we'll read down here in just a minute, confession actually binds the speaker or the confessor or the declarer to the words declared. So it actually ties you, ties me to those words. So uh, I don't want to be tied to the words that say like, I'm always, uh, things are always costing me more money. Things are always taking longer than they should. Things are always frustrating to me, right? I don't want to be tied to those words. And like we talked about last week, one of the good things is, you know, uh, we are a spirit. We have a soul. We live in a body. We're a three-part being. And um, you can get in the flesh, get over on the flesh, which none of us really want to be over on the flesh, uh, although your flesh wants to be there sometimes. Um, and you can say stuff like, uh, you know, uh, Brother Hagin said the one time, you know, some people said, somebody said, well, I said, I wish I was dead, you know, so now what am I going to do? You know, I already said this. And he said, well, you know, you didn't wish you were dead any more than anybody else did when they said that. You just got frustrated and you said it in the flesh. So there's a big difference between that and, you know, Mark 11, 23, 24 says, whoever shall say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea and not doubt in his heart, but believe those things that he says will come to pass. He'll have whatever he says. He'll have whatever he says actually is the consistent speaking, consistent saying. It's the logos. Just like you'd build, my kids love these Legos. And so they build these little things with Legos. Now they build like these, these like destroyer ships and they got guns. And Danny's like, look at my gun, Danny, look at my gun. <laughs> like it's shooting you right now. Oh, oh. Uh, but he takes these Legos, these building blocks, and he builds them together. And so you can build your world through your words. And you want to really speak God's words. You want God's words to be your words because Jesus said, if you abide in me, in other words, if you live in me and my words live in you, my words find a home in you, my words find place in you, my words find their life in you, their expression in you and through you, then you'll ask what you will and then it will be done for you or unto you. So we want the words of God to be so in us that the word of God is what comes out when we get squeezed, when we get pressured, because then we'll get God's results. Um, I was reading uh, uh, this week a, a sermon that uh, uh, Dad Hagen preached, and um, I think he must have preached it back in the 50s or 60s. And, um, you know, he had, uh, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, you probably have, I, I have, but he was preaching a sermon on the woman with the issue of blood. And he had a couple sermons uh, on the woman with the issue of blood. But every time he'd get to preaching it, he would just sense in his spirit, man, there's, there's something else there that I'm missing that the Lord's trying to get through to me. But for whatever reason, I'm not getting it. Have you ever been there? You're just, and it may not be preaching a sermon, but maybe studying the word and you're, you see it and your, your spirit is kind of like, it's stirring down there and something's happening. And you're kind of like... Well, what is that? You know, and you kind of get a glimpse, but then it like, you know, then you start thinking about it, you know, and you get mental and you're like, well, what, what was that? Bring it back, Lord. Well, he said he was driving along, praying in other tongues, and all of a sudden Jesus actually appeared to him. And um, he said, you know, people ask, well, why didn't you ask this? Or why didn't you ask that? And he said, really, whatever's on your mind at the time is about the only thing like you're going to like come up, whatever's in your spirit, that's what you're going to ask. And he's like, I thought of a thousand and one things after that I'd like to ask him. But at the moment, he was thinking about that sermon. And Jesus said to him, Jesus said, you know, that sermon you have with the woman with the issue of blood. He's like, yeah. He's like, am I missing something? He said, yes, you are. And um, he actually gave him uh, the four points to the sermon. And Brother Hagin titled it, How to Write Your Own Ticket with God. 
And uh, the four points were uh, say it, uh, what is it? <laughs> you have to, well, she heard, but it, the four points were say it, do it, receive it, tell it. And so uh, we'll look at that here in a minute. But anyhow, uh, in that book, at the end of the book that he had, has on that, where he was talking about, uh, he mentioned those points in the sermon, and it's a great, it's a great message. And um, he mentioned this, he said, you know, people think that things will like drop on us, automatically happen. He says like ripe cherries off a tree. And we used to live in Michigan, and so you got a lot of cherry trees, and it's really interesting like how the cherries will like fall off the tree when they're ripe. Or peaches, I remember one day we were picking peaches, and it was like, it was so sad actually, because they were the juiciest peaches, and you're in the tree, and you go to get them, and like, one falls, you're like, no, get it before it falls, because when it fell, they were like right on the verge, I think, of rotting, it would go, like that, but they were like the juiciest, you'd grab them, and they were just like, just touching them, they start to ooze, and you'd just eat them, and oh, it was wonderful. Um, And so when I experienced the peaches, I thought of uh, Dad Hagen saying that, because I'd heard him, you know, for years, traveling with him and all that, just just um, always mentioning that example. And he said, so many times we think that these things of God just happen automatically. And he said, you know, I hardly ever prayed for my kids. I just claimed Psalm 34, that the angels would camp around about us, they're protected. And he said, one day, they were actually um, <clears throat> visiting a, um, a, uh, well, I'll, I'll just say it. They were visiting, like, they were out west, and then they went through Salt Lake City, so they visited the um, Mormon temple out there. And while they're visiting the temple, because they're not Mormons, of course, they couldn't go in there. And so um, they go up on this, by this tree, and the guide is explaining all this stuff and all the particulars of it. And um, in the midst of that, uh, all of a sudden, he heard somebody fall over and their head bang on the ground like twice, like boom, boom. And um, the guide said, you know, don't worry about that. Uh, it's just like, uh, that's normal. That's a manifestation because of the, of the power of all this stuff or whatever. And um, so he didn't look back, but his wife looked back. She looked back, and it was their son, Kenneth Hagin Jr. And he had fallen out. And, but he didn't fall out under the power of God. He looked, and he went and grabbed his son, and his son uh, was like his his arms were like curled up like this and his body was down like this. His tongue was sticking out and he was like, it looked like an epileptic seizure or something like that. And um, so immediately he said, the devil said to him, see, what you say you believe doesn't work because look at your son. Look at the condition your son's in. And he said, I had the opportunity right there to write my own ticket with God. In other words, to practice what I preach. He said, so I grabbed hold of my son. He was 15 years old. I grabbed hold of him, and I said, you come out of him in the name of Jesus, and you leave him. And immediately, the spirit that had been present, you know, I'm not trying to go off on that whole direction, but the spirit that had been present because of the things that are not true uh, with the religion there uh, had tried to grab hold of him and had grabbed hold of him. And, uh, you know, Dad Hagen took his authority, but he said, you know, we think, like, this is all just going to happen automatically as soon as you're born again, as soon as you, like, know you have authority, then you're really not going to have to use it. Well, the opposite's really true. You have to use your authority. You have to stand your ground. You have to say, devil, I don't care what you do. I don't care what thoughts you bring. I don't care what people you bring to be a mouthpiece for you. I resist you. I'm not coming under your power. I'm not coming under your authority. But if he, sa- if he had written his own ticket and said, huh, he must be getting epilepsy. Or, huh, I wonder why that happened. There must be some disease, some sickness. 
he would have opened the door to the devil. So you see, life and death are in the power of our own tongue, okay? And we can, by the words that we speak, uh, like I mentioned, Edia Buchanan, I love how he said it, like, confession is the tracks over which faith carries its mighty cargo. Confession is the tracks over which faith carries its mighty cargo. And confession is more than just idle words. Confession is... uh, like we look in 2 Corinthians, we have the same spirit of faith. I believe, therefore have I spoken. Okay? And spirit of faith is really like an attitude of faith. In other words, uh, you know what? I don't really care, devil, what you bring, what you do. My God is bigger. My God is stronger. My God has a better solution. My God will turn the evil that you had. He'll turn it over to good. And you may not see it at the moment. I've been in so many moments where I have not seen it at the moment, but I remember in the moment, this makes no sense at the moment. But when I look back on this, I'm going to see the power of God, the hand of God, the providence of God, the amazingness of God. Uh, But the reality is, if we don't take authority in those situations, God won't. Uh, staying someone is praying for you and interceding for you and, and uh, accomplishing things. But you really can't count on that. You really need to stand in faith for yourself and trust God for yourself because you can always receive from God when you come to him simply trusting him, believing that what he said is true. Faith is simply believing that God's true and acting like it. So it's not like a, uh, a play like I'm pretending like it. It's I believe it so much it actually affects what I do and what I say. So we see that um, confession is speaking the same language. It's a solemn and public declaration by which a legal relation is contra- contractually established. That sounds like really complicated. It's saying like, no, I really mean what I'm saying right now. Um, like even Jesus would say, verily, verily, I say unto you, which is equivalent to our, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. So like when you're accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord, or if you have already accepted Jesus Christ, and you're saying confessing the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you're serious about it. You're not playing games about it. You're not just like, well, I hope this works. I hope this, you know, this whatever. It's not a spell. It's not a potion. It is um, the manifest presence of God when you confess the Lord Jesus Christ. You actually open the door for God to do what he wants to do. What he's already accomplished, it becomes real for you, tangible for you, tangible for me in your life and in my life. Uh, We see in Matthew 10 and John chapter 12 uh, that um, true confession is... uh, Actually, I don't even want to go there. Um, For the sake of time. In openly confessing the authority of Jesus, one takes his side in the battle of spirits. Okay? So whether you realize it or not, there's a battle of spirits. Um, There's a spiritual battle that's going on. And really what you see in the earth realm is spiritual influences through the natural realm, they're influenced by spiritual things. And you can read, you know, if you have time, take time sometime if you haven't, but in the book of Daniel, you'll find that um, nations are moved, nations are changed uh, because of spiritual forces, okay? And so we think like, well, I don't like this politician, I don't like that politician, I don't like how they're doing this, I don't like how they're doing that. Uh, You know what? Um, In many cases, the reason that they're doing what they're doing or the country's experiencing what it's experiencing is because we as Christians have failed to pray. Because the government's really on our shoulders. And, um, you know, actually one of the other visions that Brother Hagin had of Jesus, he told him, like, um, the reason that you had Watergate 
was because Christians, my people, didn't pray. They said, I'm holding, he's, Jesus told him, I'm holding the church responsible. I'm not holding Nixon responsible. Well, that's a serious thing, right? And so we have a role to play, um, um, I think, much more significant than what we realize and what we're conscious of, our prayers. Because uh, what would it look like if you really believed that when you pray, God hears you? Now, I'm sure we all believe that. But in a tangible way, like, no, when I speak this, I'm speaking it by the authority. I'm speaking it by the authority that I have been given, by the authority of the name of Jesus, and I'm sealing it with, with his seal of approval. And when we speak the word of God, we can do that, and it actually gives God access to move in the earth realm. Uh, John Wesley said, it seems that God does nothing in the earth except someone ask him. In other words, God is searching for you. He's searching for me. He's searching for a man, for a woman, for a young person, for an older person. He's searching for someone that will be his mouthpiece, that will actually give him access to do what he wants to do because confession actually creates the path for God to pour out his blessings. It creates the path for God to drive back the forces of the enemy and drive back the work of the devil. Our confession actually gives that pathway. I like to see it as like, you know, it's like you cut a hole and all of a sudden this, this, this fluid can flow down and it's the fluid of the power of God and the manifestation of his presence. So uh, the word uh, of confession or when you confess, it's actually a divisive force. It actually divides you from the work of the enemy and it divides you and separates you into the work of God. So you're actually separated from the access of the enemy. So he can walk, along, walk around and sound scary like a roaring lion, but he cannot touch you. But if he gets in your head or my head and he gets you to confess, he has a pathway, right? So he gets you to confess his way. And uh, so what we want to do is always confess uh, the presence of God, the lordship of Jesus Christ. In other words, if I am constantly, uh, you know, I won't go into the details here. Um, well, let me read just a couple more. Confession of Christ's lordship has in view especially his resurrection and exaltation. Behind every act of confession stands Christ himself as the true witness, who as the prototype of history, the bearer of God's spirit, and, and the witness and judge sustains the community's confession. Okay, this is like uh, the TDNT, which is kind of complicated. But you can see what it does when we confess the lordship of Christ. The, he's saying, and this was... Uh, it's the Theological Dictionary of New Testament Terms, which I'm not normally big into like some of the theological stuff, but this was actually a committee of like 26 of the main leaders that actually put this together. And it's like, if you look at the definition of gospel in this dictionary, it's the most amazing definition of gospel. And it talks about how when the gospel is preached, the very power and the presence of God is available at that moment. It contains the exact same power that the gospel contained at the very beginning. So when you're confessing the Lordship of Christ, that same power, that same presence is available to you right there there at that moment. But it's not available prior to that, right? You have to confess it. Confess the lordship of Jesus Christ, and then you actually come in contact with it. That's why you can see if you go out and you preach, 
and you don't really preach a lot of gospel messages, in other words, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's interesting when you preach those and you believe it when you preach those, and when I'm talking preach, when you declare those, when you say them to someone, when you preach them in a pulpit, when you go here, you go there, that the power of God is present and people get healed and people get changed and people get set free and people get delivered. That gospel has the same power in your lips and in your tongue when you believe it that it does when it raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. So a lot of people need a resurrection from the dead. And it's not just lost people. Some people are dead while they live. Some Christians are even dead while they live. And they're experiencing death. Well, they need the gospel. We need the gospel. We need to focus on the gospel. Behind every act of confession stands Christ himself as the true witness. So when you confess, he's the true witness, and he's declaring, that's right. That's right. I am the Lord. I am your Lord. I am Lord over that sickness. I am Lord over that poverty. I am Lord over that spiritual death. And when you confess his lordship, he can go to work. He can accomplish. He can make real uh, what he already uh, legally did. Because really, it, can get, it could get confusing. It shouldn't be confusing. And that is Jesus Christ took our sins, took our sickness, and took our poverty. That is a legal fact. In the most legal court that exists, the court of heaven, Jesus has accomplished everything for you and for me and for the people out there that aren't even born again. He has already accomplished their salvation. He has already accomplished um, everything they need. They just have to receive it. We are the same way. We have to receive salvation for our spirits. We have to be new, become new creatures. We have to receive um, deliverance from poverty, and we have to receive healing. Okay, we have to receive um, the blessing of the Lord. And so, the way we receive that is we believe it and we speak it. Go back to your salvation experience. Everything you receive from God comes the same way. All right. Sometimes people are like, well, I, I don't speak in other tongues. I haven't been you know, baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, and they get all like heady about it. I just encourage you, like, go back. How were you born again? Did you like work for it? Did you accomplish it? Did you figure it out? Like, okay, how's this going to happen? No. You confess with your mouth. You believed in your heart. So once you believed, then you confessed. Once you, and you, you were not recreated really till you confessed. And uh, I like a story. There's, um, um, uh, was it, uh, I don't remember the minister's name, but he was traveling with uh, Smith, uh, not Smith Wigglesworth, but with Lester Summerall. Lester traveled with, with, with Smith Wigglesworth at the end of his life there. And um, Lester was like going along, laying hands on people to be filled with the Spirit. And this particular minister knew that this person that he was going to lay hands on was not um, born again. And so, he wants to get a hold of Lester, right? And Lester was very bold and like, <laughs> he would tell you for what, right? And so he wants to get a hold of him and say like, you know, he's not born again, but he couldn't get a hold of him first. He's in the healing line, or the healing line, the, the ministry line, laid hand on him and the guy started speaking in other tongues. And this minister was like, I'm confused. And so he kind of went to the Lord about it. And he said, Lord, I don't understand this. Like how in the world did that happen? What was that? And uh, Jesus said to him, he said, the moment that he got out of his seat to come forward, he publicly confessed me. So I saved him on the way down and got him. And so sometimes we want to get like all technical about all this stuff. Like, what is this? What is that? You understand your confession is more than the words of your mouth, but it certainly includes the words of your mouth. And if I was speaking words of my mouth that were like, you know, uh, it's never going to work, like words of defeat, words of faith are always words of victory. If I found myself consistently speaking words of defeat... Um, 
I know I need uh, like to up my word level because I'm really speaking from experience. I'm speaking from feelings. I'm speaking from flesh realm. And, uh, you know, like I'm so hungry and I'm on this diet, but this looks really good and it's pleasant to the eyes and it'll make me wise. <laughs> and so I know like I'm on the wrong track. So then I kind of like, okay, I'm just going to get in the word of God and let the word of God uh, become more real to me. And, uh, you know, one of the scriptures that helps me the most, don't get scared at this, is Psalm 119. Because if you ever feel like, you know, I'm not really in the mood to read the Bible right now, the word of God, Psalm 119 talks about how marvelous and how wonderful and how far surpassing the word of God is. And when I've had the times in my life when you're kind of like, you know, yes, as a pastor, you even get like that where you're like, oh, you know, it's not so exciting. I go to Psalm 119 and it says like your words are like honey to my lips. Your words are more precious than thousands of gold and silver. And as I start reading that, maybe at the first moment I'm reading it, I'm like, it doesn't feel like that, you know. <laughs> but then I'm like, no, I believe it. And I, I'll read it and I'll read it. And, um, you know, most of the time it's like right away. Long as it's ever been, it's like three days. But I just kept at it. I didn't read for three days straight. I just read a little bit each day in Psalm 119. All of a sudden, it's like, man, my desire for the word is more than my desire for anything else. Like, I'm just focused on the word, and I'm feeding out. Why? Because these words from God are full of his life. They're full of his nature. They're full of him. And so when we eat the word of God, when we take the word of God deep within us, it actually will change you. It'll change your thoughts. It'll change your experience. It'll change your language. It'll change your demeanor. It'll change, it'll change you. The Word of God will change you. And, of course, James said, you know, um, save your soul through the reading of the Word so that we have to renew our minds. Our spirits are already burning again, but we, we have to renew our minds with the Word of God. So confession is vitally important, and it's something that all of us have to always watch and say, am I saying what I really want to say? Am I saying what I really want to have? Because in some measure, what you're saying today, or what you're experiencing today, I should say, is a result of what you believed and said yesterday. Not yesterday as in like Saturday, but I mean like last year and throughout this year, and you know, oh, this is how the, how's it going to turn out, how's this going to turn out, da da da. Well, what you're experiencing, what I'm experiencing in great measure is due to those words that I have confessed over my life, that you have confessed over your life. And um, if you'll stand with me, if you have found, like, you know, I don't have, like, have not had uh, the Christ confession, the best confession, I've been saying things, thinking things that are wrong, uh, I have good news for you. It's not a dire circumstance. Uh, the devil wants you to think it is, because if he can't get you on one side, he'll get you on the other. He'll be like, well, you've been saying the wrong things, so you're not going to get healed. You're not going to have this. You're not going to have that. Um, the devil is a liar, and everything that comes from him, he's the father of lies, the father of all lies. He wants you to be stuck in, in, in the past, and when I have seen people backslide, the one thing that they all have is they, they get a perspective that I'm so far from God that I shouldn't even try to come back. And, you know, you may think, well, I'm not backslidden. I'm here this morning. I'm not backslidden. I'm not even talking about necessarily like being fully backslid. I'm saying like uh, you've let the embers uh, grow a little faint and grow a little dim and you start to feel like, man, it's so terrible. Yeah, I, I used to be feel like I was on fire and be on fire and, 
confess and do all this, but I don't do that anymore. And you start to get like the uh, poor me feeling or like I'm too far, too distant. Uh, that's the, the twisting of the devil to your mind. It actually, in one instant, you just, I mean, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Jesus is the only perfect one. So I just come and say, Lord, forgive me. Uh, I'm going to do better because I'm going to rely on you and stop relying on myself. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, um, uh, say this with me. Uh, Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. He is Lord of my finances. He is Lord of my physical health. He is Lord of my relationships. He is Lord of my ministry. He is Lord of my family. In Jesus' name, amen.